Friend Day. We've been talking about core values for, I don't know, five, six weeks or so. And I felt like we kind of needed to change gears for just a week or two. This being Friend Day, we're talking about you need a friend. How many knows you need a friend? Two of you? Sorry, you're wrong. You need a friend. We need friendship. There is not many things more valuable than your friendships. And uh, how important it is. George Gallup did a poll a few years ago asking Americans, what are the most important? What are your greatest needs? And one of the six top needs that Americans said was the subject of friendship. Now, I've got a couple statements here, kind of humorous that I want to share with you. A friend is someone who keeps your secrets and never divulges them, even if tempted with chocolate. A friend is someone that knows that you don't know what you're talking about, but will let you reach that conclusion independently. A friend is someone who goes on the same diet with you and goes off the diet with you together. That's a friend. But I want to give you a friendship quiz. I want to ask you just a couple questions and see what you can answer yes and no to. When things go sour, when things go wrong, when you feel lousy, do you have a friend that you can tell? Do you have a friend that you can express an honest thought without fear of appearing foolish? Do you have a friend that will let you talk through a problem without giving you advice, just being a sounding board? I have a problem with that one. I like to give answers, and sometimes you just need to be quiet. A lot of times people are not looking for answers. They're just looking for somebody to listen. Amen? Something I'm having to learn. Will your friend risk your disapproval to suggest you may be getting off track or getting off focus of your priorities? Do you have a friend that will take the risk to tell you that you're making a bad decision or using poor judgment? If you had a failure, do you know that that friend will stand with you? Is there a friend with whom you feel you are facing life together, going over some of the same struggles together? Do you have a friend that you can share truthful and confidential thoughts and know that they will stay confidential? When you're vulnerable and transparent with your friend, are you convinced that that person won't think think less of you? And do you meet weekly or bi-weekly for fellowship and prayer or maybe just for accountability? Now, if you couldn't answer yes to most of those, then you fall in that same group with everyone else. We all need Friendship. We all need friendship. One of the greatest needs that we have in this life is friendship. And I want to take us into a story in Scripture about friendship. And ultimately, where we're going over the next few weeks is building that friendship with Jesus Christ. But today, we're just talking about the natural, the earthly, the brother and sister, the church friendships that we're trying to develop right here in this church that was developed on this trip that went to Nashville, that starts to develop in life group, that starts to develop in Sunday school. But we're going to look in Scripture at 1 Samuel chapter 20 at David and Jonathan. And if you've been coming to this church for an extended period of time, you know that David is one of my all-time favorite people to look at in the Bible for a lot of reasons. Number one, he's a guy that messed up. I'm a guy that messed up. We're all people that have messed up. But yet God said, and let me tell you, David did a lot of bad things. He committed adultery. 
He killed the man that was the husband of the woman that he committed adultery with. He did a lot of things wrong, but yet God still said he was a man after God's own heart. What separated David from from many of the other people that we read in the Bible? He always repented. His heart was always turned to God. It didn't make him perfect, but he always came back to God. But what did the story of David teach us? That God's faithful. That you can mess up and God will still be there for you if you'll turn back to him. That's what I love so much. You know, another thing about David is he's a musician. I'm a musician. He's a leader. He's a king. He's this. He's the top guy that just continued to mess up. And God said, I got your back. You keep turning to me. I've got you. You turn away from me and it's going to go bad. You turn back to me and I will carry you all the way through. Amen. And we look here in 1 Samuel chapter 20 at David and Jonathan. And we're going to see four features of a friendship. We're going to look at four features today of a friendship. And let me give you the background. You know about David. David started getting popular. Right? People started to know his name. He did a few things. The Lord was with him. I really believe that what he did in Goliath was due to what he was doing out in the fields. He was worshiping. He was preparing his heart for battle. Even though he didn't know battle was coming, he thought he was just going to be a shepherd all his life. He did have battles. He had lion and lion and uh, bear battles. That's big enough for me. I'd be worshiping the Lord too if I had to face lions and tigers and whatever. Amen. But the Lord was preparing him for more. But we see here with Jonathan, we're going to see four features of this. And David started getting popular. You remember the song that was saying? Saul's killed his thousands. David's killed his ten thousands. Let me tell you, leadership, it it doesn't work real well like that. The leader didn't like that song. Have you ever ever seen Gladiator? And all of a sudden they start chanting to, uh, uh, what's his name, Max? What's his name, Maximus? They're saying, Maximus, Maximus, the merciful. And the leader hated it, despised it. I believe the same thing was happening here. The people were cheering for David and Saul's like, wait a minute, that's messed up. David's getting popular. Everybody's liking David. He's killed Goliath and Saul is getting jealous of him. In fact, King Saul's convinced that David's going to take the throne. He's right. He's right. The word's gone out that King Saul wants to kill David. Jonathan, King Saul's son, And David have gotten close. In fact, the day Goliath was killed by David, a bonding of friendship was made between David and Jonathan that that was tight and secure. David had heard that King Saul had a price on his head. And now he's coming to his friend Jonathan, the son of Saul, and he's asking him why. Why haven't you told me about what your dad's going to do? Why is your dad going to do this to me? Well, let's pick it up right here. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 1. Then David fled... From Naoth in Ramah and came and said to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he is seeking my life? He said to him, far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, neither great nor small without disclosing it to me. So why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Whoops. Yet David vowed again, saying, your father knows well that I have found favor in your sight. And he has said, do not let Jonathan know this or he will be grieved. 
But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is hardly a step between me and death. Verse 4. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. Now, keep in mind, this is the king's son. He has a relationship with this man that is starting to get a lot of attention. But we're going to see four features of a friendship in this relationship right here. Number one, a friend should be available. When Jonathan realized how much trouble David was in, he looked at him and in verse four, he said, whatever you say, I will do it. In other words, he's saying to David, David, you can count on me. I know it's a tough time for you and I'm an available friend. You know, Kevin McHale played for the Boston Celtics back in the day, in the day that I was growing up, when I was, was these kids' age, Magic Johnson and Dr. J and Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and uh, who was the big guy, Isaiah Thomas, and who was the big guy that, no, that's before my time. No, wait a minute. He played for Detroit Pistons and was just, Bill Lambeer hated him, couldn't stand him. You Detroit people, we've got some people, you know, people in Cookville, there's a lot of Detroit people. So I got to be careful how, how negative I get on the state of Michigan. Lee is from Michigan also, Pastor Stevens wife. So red, red wings. Elizabeth says, I shouldn't use the word hate. I really do not like the red wings. Okay. It's really just because of Lee. I really kind of like him, but anyway, okay, I'm going to get it. Yeah, Lee's, Lee's, Lee's pretty tough. Kevin McHale, Kevin McHale, uh, and there was a statement that he made years ago that I think really applies to this right here. Um, when Casey Jones was the coach of the Boston Celtics, Kevin McHale said, you know, when I had a bad game, when I missed that winning shot, when everything was on me and I blew it, you know who was there? It was my coach. My coach was the first person to be to come and catch me. And he would come and he would put his arm around me and say, it's all right, Kevin. You'll make it the next time. It's all right, Kevin. We're playing tomorrow night and you're going to do great. It's okay. Tomorrow night you will, you will make that winning basket. He said he was always there. And not only for just Kevin, but for the whole team. When the team messed up, he was there to encourage. But Kevin said, but when I scored the winning basket... When I did something great to help the team and we won, I would look around and the coach would be nowhere near. To find, I could never find him. Where was he? If I had a bad game, he was there. If I, if I had a great game, he wasn't there. So one day Kevin went, went into the, the office and said, Coach, can I meet with you? And he sat down and he said, Coach, man, you're so great whenever we lose. You catch me. You always grab hold of me. You help me. But when I, when I do well, where are you? He said, Kevin, it's very simple. When you have a bad game, you need me. You need me to encourage you and let you know that I'm glad you're on this team. You need to come behind. I need to come behind you and give you positive reinforcement. If you had a bad game, you need me. But when you have a good game, you don't need me at all. You got 15,000 fans cheering your name. You've got t TV reporters all over. You've got photographers wanting you. You've got people wanting your autograph. Everybody's encouraging you then. You don't need me when you're doing good. How true is that with friendship? Friends are available. Can you always count on your friend to be there when you're having a rough time? That's who I know are my friends is that when I'm really hurting 
Who will still be with me? Who's available to me? We're going to go a little deeper than that. Number two, a good friend is dependable. Dependable. Jonathan was not only available to David saying, whatever you need, you can count on me. But he was dependable. Now, Jonathan, of course, was caught in the middle of a friendship between his dad and his friend, David. So let's look at verse 17, chapter 20, verse 17, 1 Samuel. And Jonathan made David a vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own own life. Verse 23, for as, as for the agreement of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. That is a big statement. John, I want you to catch this. Jonathan's focus was on being a friend. That's significant if you'll catch this. Most of the time, you and I are preoccupied with having friends. Do you see the difference? Jonathan is saying, David, I'm going to be your friend. It may cost me something, but I want you to know you can count on me. I'm going to be dependable. I'm going to be a friend. Most of the time, we think... I have very few friendships, so therefore I need friends. And that's very true. But what we have to do is understand that if we need to have friends, we need to be focused on being a friend instead of having a friend. In other words, if we will put much into the relationship, if we would be the ones to initiate it, if we are the givers into the relationship, after a while, we won't need friends because we will be a friend. Do y'all catch that? We're too busy wanting someone else to invest in the friendship and us invest nothing. We just want the reward of the friendship with no investment. And it doesn't work like that. You want a friend? Focus on being a friend. You're going to see through this whole story today that Jonathan stayed focused on being a friend. You never see the return of Jonathan saying, you know what? You're not as much a friend to me as I am to you. Nope. Jonathan's heart was set on David. He was focused on that friendship and he continued to invest into it. You know, if you don't invest in something, you will gain nothing from it. If you don't invest in something, you're not going to gain from it. The friendships that you have that you don't invest from, you shouldn't be looking for a return from because you're not going to get one. But those that you invest in, those friendships that I invest in, I gain great return from. Far greater than I could ever expect. I feel like whatever I invest, I feel like I get back more than I ever put into it. But the moment I stop, it's like a marriage. The moment you stop investing in your marriage is the moment you start separating. The problem is we, we, in the courtship time, we invest, we invest, we invest. Then we get married and we withdraw, withdraw, withdraw. The problem is once you get married, you've got to keep investing, keep investing, keep investing and take that return and reinvest it. Y'all know that one of the seven wonders of the world or whatever, um, compound interest. You ever heard of that? Keep putting it in. Keep putting. It's not a seven wonders of the world, but it's a there's something. It's the eighth wonder of the world, whatever. One, somebody has said something like that, uh, like a dimming or somebody like that has stated that compound interest is one of the great blessings and mysteries of of this world, that if you will keep feeding it, it's going to just go out of control. 
Same thing with marriage. Same thing with friendship. Same thing with your walk with God. Invest into it. Get in the word. Get to know him. Number three, available, dependable. I want you to be thinking, am I this to a friend? Vulnerable. Being open, transparent, vulnerable. This is usually where we shut it off. And here's how the story continues. Let me summarize. After Jonathan told David that he could count on him, David went back into hiding. And Jonathan went back to the palace. Now, do you remember this? They're sitting around the table. It's a feast time. It's a time that everybody in the king's court has a place to be. It's time to eat. And the king sits down. Jonathan sits down. All his court sit down. And there's an empty seat. David is in the king's court. He's a musician. He's a vital part of that king's court. Vital part. And he's missing. And what happens? An argument stirs up, right? King Saul says, where is he? Jonathan, you know him. I know how thick you two are. Where's David? Do you remember? Where's David? First Samuel chapter 20, verse 30. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan and said to him, and he said to him, do you remember what, what Saul, uh, what Jonathan said? You know, Jonathan came to his rescue. Jonathan came and said, wait a minute, dad, not a big deal. We're going to go back and look at it. And it says that Saul's anger burned against Jonathan because of Jonathan taken up for David. And he said to him, catch this, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. How easy is it for us husbands to blame our shortcomings in our children on the wife? You got that from your mother. Let me tell you, this is pretty uh, nasty. Son of a perverse, rebellious woman. I mean, even today, that would get the job done, wouldn't it? I mean, he brings the woman in real quick, doesn't he? How easy it is. And you know, when when my son makes a three-pointer, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's my son. Chip off the old block right there. Yeah. But when he kicks it out of bounds, man, he got that from his mama. Don't we do that? I know you do. I've heard you. So what happens? What happens? The human tendency, you know, comes into place. Let's let's read the rest of the scripture right here. It gets worse. You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to uh, to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness. Just keep mama in this a little bit longer. (laughs) Let's look at verse 31. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore now send and bring him to me for he must surely die. And let's stop for just a second. Saul is trying to divide David and Jonathan. He's saying that your kingdom is at stake. What you're doing is threatening your future, son. As long as the son of Jesse lives, your throne is up at, up, uh, what does it say? Your throne, your kingdom will be, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. He is a threat to your future. Now go get him and bring him to me. Verse 32, but Jonathan answered Saul, his father, And said to him, why should he be put to death? What has he done? 
it's easy to overread this, but he is in the king's court. He is before everybody, and he's saying, what's he done? Dads, you know how, how much we don't like to be disrespected in front of company, right? It's hard enough in just face-to-face, nobody else around. But think about how that makes you feel when, somebody, when, when a kid's like, man, Dad, you're out of your mind. He's done nothing. Why don't you move on from it? Um, I was... Uh, uh, no, I'll stop. Hallelujah. Um, I've got a father, a father son thing that I'm working with right now. And the son's right here and the, he's yelling at the father and the father's yelling back at the son. And these are adults. And I mean, I'm just laughing. I'm just like, man, he didn't, he didn't know how to handle this. And he didn't know how to handle this. They're just aggravating. And I'm like, if me and Burton would know this, if me and my dad were going at each other, it would be nasty. It would be nasty. Burton and I have coached together and, you know, he knows my temperament and, and I'm right in the middle of this thinking, man, this is Jonathan and Saul. You know, it's a struggle. It's a power struggle. But he says, what, look, why should he be put to death, dad? What's he done? Look what happens. Then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down. So Jonathan knew. That David, that Saul had decided to put David to death. Jonathan got revelation as it zipped by his head. Immediately in his mind, he thought, you know what? David may be onto something. David, I think, I think David's onto something as much as I thought. And I, I just said, David, Jonathan just said previously, my dad tells me everything. No way. All of a sudden, reality set in. I don't know everything. And David was right. Saul, when he saw Jonathan was protecting David, picked up a spear and threw it at him. And Jonathan immediately thought, we've got problems in this household. We've got some issues that need to be taken care of. I think David's in trouble. Do you notice how Jonathan goes out on the line? Do you notice how vulnerable he is? Do you notice how he was open and he risked and he was hurt because of this friendship? You see, I believe the price of friendship is vulnerability. I believe that a friend never develops, friendship never develops to its highest level until transparency or openness or vulnerability is established. I think as long as you have this stiff arm approach to friendship, you never get past kind of the surface. There has to be an openness and an honesty. There even has to be a willingness to be hurt. To lay yourselves before them in this type of relationship. And how beautiful it is as we look at this to see how vulnerable Jonathan was in this friendship to David. Number four. This is the last one. Available, dependable, vulnerable, and responsible. Jonathan was responsible for his friend. In fact, he did the right thing, even though it was painful. Let me give you a little bit more background about this. Do you remember David took off and went and hid out in the field? He said, Jonathan, I know your dad's trying to kill me. And Jonathan said, I don't think so, but I will go back and I will find out. And he said, Jonathan said to David, David, go stand out by this place right out here and hide. And me and my servant will come out and I will shoot an arrow. And if I shoot it to this side, I will say to the servant, Servant, the, the arrow's over on this side, and that means everything's safe. But if I shoot it beyond you, 
And if I say to the servant, servant, the, the, uh, the arrow is on beyond you. It's on past you. Then you'll know that Saul's trying to kill you. David said, okay. And he went out and hid. And sure enough, the story goes, he went and found out and Saul threw the spear at him. And Jonathan came back. Can you see the risk that Jonathan took by coming back? Had he been followed? Had he been caught knowing that he's helping this man that the king has already said, do not do this. So Jonathan comes back and shoots the arrow beyond him to establish King Saul is going to kill you. The servant goes back home and David comes out. Now, this is where I got to get a little confused. I don't understand if they're going to talk. Why not just get together and talk and not go through this whole big charade of shooting the arrows? But I mean, I'm not I'm not God. I wasn't there. I don't know exactly how that culture works, but. If they're able to get together, then let me just not shoot arrows. And... But anyway, maybe in order for Jonathan to have been in that place, he had to take his servant and go through this process. I don't know. But David came out, and they got together. And I want you to see what happens right here. Catch this right here. When the lad was gone, the servant, David rose from the south side and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times, and they kissed each other. And wept together. But David wept more. David had to leave. He knew that this friendship was about to be long distance. There was not going to be much communication anymore. But it says that David wept more. Why did David weep more? I believe that David wept more than Jonathan. Because David realized that day what a friend he had in Jonathan. He realized that he, that Jonathan was the giver in this relationship. He realized that Jonathan was the risk taker in this relationship. I always believe that when a friendship provides security and proves to be true friendship, the one who receives the most of it will always weep more because that person will realize the true value of a friend and that they have been the recipient of that degree of friendship. Have you ever had a moment when a friend just went, way beyond what you ever would expect a friend to do. And what kind of fulfillment, what kind of filling of a void that does for you? When you realize, when you're, when you're at a funeral and you've just lost somebody close and there comes your friend and it's not just enough to shake your hand, they hug you and they hold on to you and they stay with you and they won't leave. When they're there for you, when everything falls apart in your job. When they're there for you, when your marriage is struggling. Think about the feeling when you have a friend that you know you can go and tell your deepest secret to. And they will not break that. And they won't think less of you. They'll stand with you. And that's what David, I believe, ran into right here. He could see the end, but he could also see how much Jonathan loved him. Look what it says right here in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42. And Jonathan said to David, go in safety inasmuch as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord will be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. Then he rose and departed while Jonathan went into the city. Jonathan again confirms his friendship with him. Through everything that he has been through, he comes again and says, David, the Lord be between you and me. I have made covenant with you. I am your friend forever. Now, he, you can say it, but now he has all these things that he has already done that confirms Jonathan means what he says. 
I want to encourage you in your friendships, in your relationships. Are you the Jonathan? Are you the one that is investing in? I don't think David was not one that didn't invest. We don't see that side as much. But we need to be, have the heart of Jonathan in, these, in our relationships, willing to invest into the relationship, willing to notice when someone is hurting and reach out. Being there, being vulnerable, being dependent, being available. Amen? You want a friend? Be a friend. You're hurting for friendships right now? Be a friend. Be a friend. Father, we just thank you for this morning. And Lord, I just ask you to help us. Lord, I know. I know that as a nation, I know that as a church, I know that as a community, our relationships are struggling. We have so many things that tear our relationships apart. We have so many things in this world, in technology and in uh, busyness, that we don't have time for one another. Lord, help us learn to start to invest into our marriages, into our children, into our friends that we have, into our church. Lord, I thank you for this outreach thing that we just went through and these friendships that begin to build. You know, VBS is a time to build friendships. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. You may be here today and you may say, Pastor, I've never even made that step to Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. We sang the song, I am a friend of God, but I don't understand it. It's so simple. You've been trying so hard to make things work in your life and they're just not working. The Lord says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You may think that just living a good life and being a good person is going to get you into heaven. It will not. There is only one way to heaven and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you say, Pastor, I want Jesus. I want you to just to slip your hand up right now with no one looking around. I want Jesus. 